Imagine this. You get an email from your provost office that you now have permission and money to add a new person to your team, and you are going to be the hiring manager. As you are thinking about interviewing candidates, what types of questions will you ask? And how do you use these questions to find the right person? And what makes a person right? And most importantly, where is my swimsuit? In this episode, we explore answers to all these questions and chat about ice cream sprinkles, Star Trek and Star Wars, cockroaches, and tackle some Russian translations too. So take a moment and join us. So I'm going to put on my tea hat because tea does this much better than I do or that I will. But hello and welcome to the Unconference podcast, a GCC created podcast for you, created by you, for you, for us, by us, all of the above. We're here to do that. I'm Joseph. And I'm Ermola. Fantastic. And we're joined today by two of our fabulous GCC member colleagues, Becca and John. So we really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. So thank you for being with us here today. Yeah, absolutely. Great to be here. Thanks for having us on. Always lovely to talk with GCC compatriots. Ditto. We are going to start off with some introductions for you guys because everyone knows who we are. Sure. Um, my name is Becca Layton. I'm at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where I work with biomedical PhDs and postdocs who are preparing for all sorts of careers. And I work in the Office of Graduate Education. My official title is the Director of Professional Development Programs. Great. John? Hello, all. My name is John Vasquez. I am Director of Assessment and Professional Development at the Van Andel Institute's Graduate School here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I have an interesting position in that I work primarily on the academic side of professional development. So my focus with grad students is really around helping them prepare for academic careers. So anything having to do in an academic setting, whether that's uh, tenure track, faculty positions, academic administrators, things like that. So we're glad you're both here because we do have this discussion topic, which is to really think, you know, from our own perspective as professionals, what would we do if we had the opportunity to add to our own teams? What, you know, who would we be looking for? What kind of teams do we want to work in? And what do we value as um, expertise and experience? And so I like this topic because it really helps me think, what is this interesting field that we work in? And who has something to offer? The second, I think, to pick up on this moment around thinking around social injustice overall and um, racial and ethnic injustice in particular is that this is a moment where we're, we're thinking about diversification of the field and the multiplicity of voices that, that help do this work and the identities of the students and the postdocs and the trainees that we serve. Um, and so I'm really excited just to hear in this conversation, you know, where we go, what do we think about uh, our field writ large, whether it's about, you know, our own experience and what we bring or how we intersect our experience and, and use that with the experiences of the people we're, we're training. My most recent interview is the most memorable one because it was just eight months ago. <laughs> I'm less than a year into my job. So I actually worked in higher ed for like literally 20 years before deciding to go back to school to get a PhD, which I vaguely remember talking to Irmala at one point saying I would never get a PhD. And here we are five years later, we're talking about this. So I went back to school to get my PhD. I just, well, I guess a little bit more than eight months ago, because I interviewed it for my job um, in October. I was on the job market. And I remember my biggest fear was like, who am I, right? Because I'm going to be 
Dr. John Vasquez now after being just John before. And I I'm one of those people that loves interviewing. Like, I just think it's the greatest thing. It's the best part of getting a job, not actually doing the job. It's interviewing for the job because it's really fun. And I'm very open and honest about who I am, what I do and, and stuff like that. So all my identities are all over my document and in how I answer the questions. And this is relevant because at the end of the day, I was talking to one of my prospective colleagues and I've just been being honest. Like they've asked me about, they've asking all the appropriate questions and I'm answering all the questions with, yeah, I'm gay. I, you know, I'm from um, San Antonio, predominantly Hispanic community. I do, you know, do all these things, blah, blah, blah. Talk, I talk a lot. I'm very emphatic with, with the way I, you can't see it right now because we're a podcast, but I use my hands to talk. I'm very energetic. And at the end of the day, like one of my future colleagues talks, you know, we meet one-on-one -on -one cause it's, it's one of those interviews and you can, you've been, you've all probably experienced this where it's that one conversation with that one person who's like, I'm going to tell you how things really are. It was one of, it was that part of the interview. And the first thing she says out of her mouth is you do realize where you're applying to live and work at. Right. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, you know, based on, you know, who you are, you might find it a little bit isolating here. And I'm like, what part of who I am? Because I'm, I, and, I, and I was being serious. I'm like, because let me think, I told you all, I'm a gay Russian speaking Mexican from the west side of San Antonio who does qualitative research based in phenomenology. And I'm going to be working with a, bio, a bunch of white male scientists on the conservative side of the state. So which part of my identity here should I be worried about? What are you trying to tell me? And after I said that, we just both started cracking up because I'm like, I didn't say this, but I was thinking in my mind, lady, pick the identity. Believe me, I'm going to be the N of one here. I'm okay. It's not about, am I ready to be here? It's about, are you ready to have me here? Because that's really the question you got to be asking. That, that, that's what keeps me in mind. And what's really funny, it's been, it's been a great experience because uh, one, I am an N of one in, my, in many cases. But two, it's just been, it's really great to like be not the opposite, but like have a totally different experience than a lot of the other professional uh, staff. John, that is a fantastic story. And I appreciate um, what both of you touched on was the interviewing is about the whole person, which I think was really interesting. I love your N of one comment. That was amazing. And as a female combat paratrooper from the army who went into academia, I'm often an N of one in a lot of ways too. So I feel you so much on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially when postdocs and grad students ask me, like, how do you approach the interview process? I'm like, it's not just about them interviewing me. I'm interviewing them to really see if they are worthy of having me. And I always, like, especially underrepresented folks who they're going into places like probably white institutions or areas that doing things where they will be an end of one. I'm always like, it's not about are you worthy of working for them? It's are they worthy of having you there? because you bring so much to the table. So That's such a great point, John. And I think a lot of people forget that. And especially as trainees, they feel like they're lower on the power structure. And so they feel like, oh, I've got to convince them. And just getting people into the mindset where it's a two-way street interview, I think is so valuable, particularly right now in the, in the context of Black Lives Matter and racial inequities. Like people are actually maybe for the first time acknowledging out loud in the well-represented groups that hey, this stuff can impact a work environment and you need to think about these things. And I think that hasn't been in the mainstream conversation before. So I think that's really important. 
when I was thinking about uh, skills, perspectives, um, experiences that I would, I would be looking for on a team, um, it came to me that there would be kind of like common skills that I would be looking for and then also some like uncommon ones that would be more of sort of distinct and maybe not every candidate would have them, but they would have some combination of interesting combinations of those things. Um, and so some of the ones that jumped out to me for skills or things like event planning and coordination, I think is important no matter what level you're at, even if, if you, especially if you start out as a kind of entry level, um, but then moving up planning, administration, organization still is important. Teamwork and collaboration would be really important to me as a core skill. Again, at no matter what level you're at, as you move up, that continually becomes and is and becomes more important. Um, and vision and independence, I think, is something I always look for even in staff members when we're not, not necessarily director level, but I think that if you walk in the door with a vision, you can make something happen. And while you have to be flexible and adapt to what the environment and the mission and vision is in that office, if you have things that you are personally excited about, you are going to bring that to the table, you are going to bring that flavor, you are going to bring that passion, and you are going to be able to work more effectively, more motivated, more dedicated, because you will have that personal drive and commitment to the role, not just whatever's on paper. And so I think that's what really brings the position to life is each person's going to take it in an area they want. Then I had some other ones that were sort of more specific, like these would be fun sprinklings that you could put on there. I am, I am a scholar of doctoral education as an area of research. So I completely understand how doctoral education is a socialization process. And you, as trainees, you are socialized by your mentor, your advisor, the person who supervises you. In academia right now, that is primarily white people, old white men, majority. And so my whole goal, my, I believe it is my personal mission to help get more students of color into PhD programs. So what that means is I need to, in many ways, support the system and the organization that exists, but also to change it and to radically change it. And the only way to do that is to find people who are like me and are willing to challenge that system. So I want to bring in someone on my team who can do all the things that, that Becca has identified, but also understands the context that we're working in and is also willing to be on the front lines with me to say, let's challenge that context. Let's challenge the systems the way it exists and try and get it to change, to support the diversity that we are saying we want to bring in. So the concept of challenging the system then, I think it's a very interesting one because if you are looking for, if you're looking at a candidate pool and trying to figure out who can help best do that with you, what is it that you're looking for? Is, is it a sort of a, a personal identity? Is that, is that sort of a, a enough of, a, of evidence that, that that can happen? Or is it a skill set or is it an experience? You know, I'd love to hear what might be good evidence of that if evidence is required. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with how they answer the questions that you ask them in interviews. And so, you know, when I'm a part of a, a hiring committee, I ask, I, my question to them is, what is your understanding of the doctoral education? What is your understanding? What is the role of professional development in doctoral education? How do you encourage or how do you work with faculty and talk to them about professional development as regards to doctoral education? That's on the one hand. On the other hand is asking questions around what's your understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusion? What does it mean to you? How do you provide evidence of your understanding of those terms in your work? How do you incorporate that in, in your work? Asking questions around, so how do you, how are you going to advocate for your own resources in this kind of situation? Also to me, questions like that also help provide insight into how an individual is going to address the need for systemic change. 
at different levels. So I, there may be a candidate that doesn't have experience with diversity, equity, and inclusion, but they've learned how to advocate and push for additional resources, expanding. That to me signifies that, okay, in this context, you know, we have the resources, we just need more people to fight the system or to work with the, the system. To me, that's like where that personal drive, it's like having that relentless drive to pursue things you're passionate about. And examples of doing that around challenging the system or diversity, equity, inclusion are really phenomenal things to add to the team. And I know that that is something that if people have experience and demonstrated building a club at their institution or as a trainee doing something um, that you can actually show evidence as, um, as we talked about before, that you have really put yourself out there, that you're willing to lead, that you're willing to step up. I think that that's good evidence that no matter what your passion is and if it's around diversity specifically or other things that you can bring to the table, that shows that you have that edge to, to push when it's uncomfortable sometimes, right? Because if you're not willing to advocate for yourself and others, you're gonna be higher in the power structure than the people who can't do that. And so you have to use your, your positionality to try to support the people who don't have that opportunity. Um, so definitely agree with that. Now, Becky, you mentioned tasty sprinkles that you like, and I'm all about tasty sprinkles because on ice cream, the tasty sprinkles are definitely the best part. And the ice cream is just a, a venue for tasty sprinkles. Do you want to talk a little bit about those? Sure. And while we're talking about tasty sprinkles, I should also mention that my three-year-old loves to actually pull the tasty sprinkles out of the drawer, which we stupidly put at her level, and dump them on the floor, which the dogs love. So everyone loves tasty sprinkles, not just on ice cream. So some of those sort of sprinkle skills uh, were things like qualitative versus quantitative analysis. So for instance, I come from a, a more quant background. I would really value if I was picking a team member having someone with qualitative skills, because that's something I'm learning more about. And statistics background, again, that's something that I have a lot of. And so I would want to bring someone in who maybe could talk more about how do you pull in people's verbiage? How do you make compelling stories rather than just producing data? I recently did more training and coaching uh, since I came into this field and I found that very valuable. So again, if I was building a magic team, I might pull that in. Since I have that already, if I was hiring someone new, I might look for other complementary skills, but that's something I found very valuable. This is sort of a funny one. Details in organizational planning. So myself and some of my close collaborators on my team are not the strongest in that. As directors, sometimes I think we think kind of high in the clouds about like the vision and mission stuff and we aren't always good at some of the details. And so I will personally take ownership of um, not being super detail oriented about uh, like calendar planning and things like that. And so that is something I would definitely look for uh, whether I was, a, I was building a team or as a person for my, my personal team that I was bringing on because I think finding, again, complementary skills really makes the team more robust. So those were a few things that came to mind for me. I'd love to know, as we're thinking about this notion of who's on the team and what expertise do they bring, do any of you find that having a PhD has impacted your experience now doing career education? And I'm assuming yes, but I'd love to know in what ways. What what is the experience, the lived experience itself done for you in terms of thinking about how you approach the work and then how you might see that expertise in developing a team outside of yourself? So yeah, uh, I'll talk about it in context for me. So before I got my PhD, I had a job where I was advising underrepresented students going into tenure track faculty positions. So I had the same kind of job, but without a PhD. I was told I was pretty effective in helping them think about the process, how do you put together a portfolio, writing their statements and everything. And part of my job was also helping to advise them around difficult conversations, difficult conversations with their mentor, difficult conversations around how having a PhD impacts their identity and the choices that they're making. 
as a you know a trained career advisor, you have that context, you have the background, the tools to be able to help them reflect on those questions and talk about that. So I'm a big fan of not just what do I do, but how do I do it, right? And so talking to them about how I think about having my degree and how it impacts decisions that I'm making. So I'm able to use firsthand I statements about how I felt. When I say to them, like, I went into my PhD saying that I didn't want to do tenure track, but I understand the lore and the pull of tenure track faculty positions. I understand what it means to see a position and know a faculty position and know exactly that I match that stuff. It matched everything that they want and that, and that the colleagues at the institution saying I should apply. I understand that lore, but then I also understand what it means to actually go through and be one of those people. Uh, like for me, I had a kid in grad school. And so when students are like, well, I don't know, I'm thinking about family stuff. And, you know, I can say, well, you know, here's how we handled that. Like this was our experience, not to um, be directive, but just to say, you know, you can get through it if you want to. Here are different options with how we dealt with it, peers dealt with it. I've seen other people deal with it, right? Just to let them know there are options. Um, so, and I think that working with career counselors, coaches, and PhDs in positions like ours, we all bring different perspectives. And I actually think it's really great to have that diversity in our workspace because I've learned so much from peers who came through different routes than I did that just have a very different approach, a different literature they're familiar with, and different um, sources they read, different places they go for updates, right? Um, different favorite organizations and websites. And I think all of that is really helpful to try to bring a holistic picture to like, what can we do to support students and trainees? Personally, I can say that my PhD has brought kind of a different perspective to me. So I work in biomedical sciences, but I'm a social and personality psychologist by training, which is um, more on the quantitative statistics side. And so um, I know John came through graduate education research. So I actually had like sort of a shift because I started out doing basic human subjects lab research, did a postdoc in that in the School of Medicine and then moved into my current role. And so while those skill sets are very different, it allowed me to bring quantitative graduate education research to an office that we didn't really previously have a lot of training or energy around that. And we now have multiple directors who are doing that kind of work because we've learned from each other and built additional resources and um, applied for grants. And um, so collectively we've had like a shift in the office, I think over time, because we happen to have those skill sets and people were interested and excited and so we were able to build on that. I don't know that they hired me because I had those skills. Like I think if anything, they were like, ooh, it's not a biomedical scientist. Do you think she's gonna be okay, right? Like there's a running joke in the office that I'm the only like fake, fake scientist in the office or whatever, right? Um, I always feel very supported by my colleagues. That's it's more funsies than anything. But you know, being the only non-biomedically trained PhD director in an office where there are six of us, like coming with a really different skill set in social sciences and um, survey design and quantitative analysis, um, I was able to pivot into program evaluation in a way that I think we weren't able to do before. For me, that has had very specific ways that I've been able to apply it. But I think no matter what your PhD is your training can give you a different lens. Um, and so for instance, my um, regional co-director, Rob Pearson is a humanist and we're really excited. We're gonna be starting a humanist flavored journal club for our region this year. Um, we started with some sort of uh, grad ed quantitative research because that's what I knew. And so we're gonna be going in a new direction and, and rolling out some of that too. And so just having again, those multiple perspectives from really different visions of like, what does evidence mean? How do you define a problem? How do you solve a problem? How do you present that compellingly? I think having different answers from different disciplines is really valuable.
with a uh, animal behavior PhD, what I'm most valued for in my office is when there are cockroaches and people need them to be evacuated humanely from the building without beating them to death with a mop, which is the, when I first arrived was seen to be the, uh, the general approach that people took. I was like, no, wait, there's another way. And so uh, when people find things in their office, then uh, I come in with my cup and I capture them, I walk out and the MBA office across the way who sees me walk out with my spiders and my cockroaches, they're all rather confused, but it, it seems to work well as, you know, you bring extra value to the organization and everything like that. One of the, the questions that I often have about interviewing is whether our, our regular style of interviewing, which I don't know who invented job interviews or if someone was responsible for it, where you surprise someone with 10 questions that you might be ready for, but perhaps you aren't, and then you see how they get all, how they answer, whether that is actually a really helpful way of interviewing people, because there's lots about that that doesn't help, right? You, you don't get the best answers from people because they weren't ready for the question. And, and some of the questions are weird. And some of the questions, if you just had a little bit more time, you've had a better answer. And I don't think that's a bad thing. But, you know, the, the one, so I was pondering a, perhaps a different approach whereby, you know, rather than sort of the behavioral based questions where you say, well, give me an example of a time where you're part of a team and you communicated effectively, which sometimes I feel is not, you don't get good answers, even if for people who have prepared, what happens if we were to sort of turn around and say, ahead of the interview, you know, we're going to ask you a question about how well you communicate with our students, but basically we're going to give you five minutes and you can do or say or dance, whatever you like, and, you know, let us know how you think that, you know, helps. Have you ever thought about interviewing as a sort of a not the most effective or efficient process? So since I was interviewing, there were two jobs that I applied to. One, the interviewers not only gave me like the agenda and who I'm meeting with, they gave me the interview questions, the multi-part questions ahead of time for the whole day. And I felt like it was the best, most professional, most like non-stressful situation I could have asked. It was like the best interview. They offered me the job and I turned it down. <laughs> and it was for a lot of different reasons, but it was great versus I applied for one job and literally they're like, this interview is going to last 20 minutes. We have 15 minutes for questions for us to ask you, five minutes for you. There's a committee of six. It was on Zoom. And they're like, and there's six questions that we're going to ask you. However, several of them were also multi-part questions. So there was really like 15 questions. And so, of course, I tried to answer. You try to stick to like main points, whatever. I did the whole process training. In the last two minutes, my, they were like, okay, you have time for, I think, one question. And I'm like, really? So my question to them was, I'm interested in knowing from each of you, what's the one thing that this person needs to do that's the most important thing they, they need to do? And they all looked at me and were like, well, and they're like, oh, this is so hard. There's so many things. I'm like, exactly. Now you did that. You asked me this question, multi-parts, and you, know, you only gave me less than a minute to answer. And I responded to them that way, and they just started cracking up. I don't advocate getting frustrated and saying that to a committee. But I did in that moment, cause I'm like, I was thinking in my mind, this is not a place I wanna work. And like, why would you do this to a prospective employee? What I didn't realize though, was they were an organization that loved that. And so I got, I was asked back for the third round on campus cause they're, and their response in the email stream was like, we just loved how you just came back to us with pointing out how ridiculous that process was. And I'm like, really? I also didn't take that job. But <laughs> again, I don't recommend you calling out your interview committee. Being honest Except that you got jobs in both cases. So I'm not sure 
<laughs> I think it's bad advice. I believe when people lean into who they are in terms of their personality and how they engage with others, they don't always, they're not always going to be successful, but they will find the appropriate place to be. And so I tell people or interviewing all the time, like, be honest, be who you are, try to be as much as you can, be professional, but be as much as who you are as you can. And the right position will open up. And if you do and you get hired, you know you were hired because of who you are. If you're not, they just weren't ready for you. They just weren't ready to benefit from your awesomeness. And so. They hate sprinkles. They hate sprinkles. Exactly. <laughs> and it, it may sound like I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious or like I'm blowing smoke up. I honestly believe that if you work with underrepresented students, underrepresented women in science, um, we're talking underrepresented students of color, they don't hear enough about how awesome they are, particularly women in science. Like they don't get told how awesome they are and how much that they are balancing and doing. And so I think it's really important that we uplift those individuals, lots of individuals, and help them believe in their skills and talents and that environments, institutions must be worthy of their skills and talents because we don't say it enough to them. So to Joseph's point about um, our interviews useless, I actually like them kind of for the same reason that John was complaining about some of them, which is when they are ridiculous or even if they're really well designed, you can learn something about the person by how they react. Um, and a story this, this brings to mind, this is not my story, but um, a trainee shared with me that at one of their interviews, they, the people are saying, well, I don't know how we're going to get this, this, and this done. Like, here's the things that are coming up on our schedule. It's this new person coming in is going to have to take on a lot, da, 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 right? And then says, I just don't know how we're going to get it all done. And the trainee said, well, I know how, you hire me. And so, again, it's kind of like a, whoa, and what a great response. And also, like, you think in your head, oh, my God, did I just say that right at the same time? Um, but I think whenever you can show a part of your who you are and how you respond really in the situation and in the moment and have that candid response, that lets you get to know them and they get to know you. And so I mean, part of it is like, if they don't like that, they shouldn't hire you, right? Like I talk a lot, I'm a loud person. And so if I was in a place that was like very quiet and subdued, they probably would be really upset with me a lot because I'm not quite in subdued. And so like, if that doesn't come across right away, I wouldn't want them to like hire me thinking I'm gonna like sit quietly in a corner like a mouse, like that's just not gonna happen. And so I think just being your candid self both allows you to show who you are and allows them to see if you're a good fit. And so it is that mutual process that I think we've, we've touched on quite a bit. So I always tell people to be prepared for anything because they really wanna get to know you. So it might not be something you expect. And so, my noteworthy example that I remember specifically was, so are you a Star Wars or a Star Trek fan? Where's my swimsuit? Hang on, sorry. Perfect segue. So that was my eight-year-old wondering where her swimsuit is. Um, <laughs> um, so are you a Star Wars or a Star Trek fan? For better or worse, I'm also like a Mets and Yankees fan, which I know is not allowed. Well, I'm also a Star Wars and Star Trek fan. So I was like, well, I'm going to piss everyone off um, and just tell them that I like both. But uh, it was an interesting conversation starter, not something that one would expect. And it's always good to be in a place where you feel like you can share whatever your, you know, social or your likes, dislikes. And so it was a really good opener question to just talk about what your personality is like and who you like. And so it was great because we got to all nerd out together and talk about why we liked or didn't like them, which felt like a really good fit with the office when that's a question that people care about. So for me, that was really fun. 
Now, do you think the office had a division between Star Wars and Star Trek? Or was it an artificially derived barrier between the two just to get you thinking? Uh, that is a great question. I think, honestly, people were just asking fun questions to try to get to know each other. Um, but, uh, but there were some strong opinions at the table, I remember, um, where people were like, absolutely not Trek. And other people were like, no, wars, right? So, um, so I don't know that there was like a ongoing like feud in the office, but it certainly brought up some, um, some important points that people had very strong opinions about. Solid opinions that uh, don't affect the world as a whole, but are very meaningful. I like those types of things. You actually earlier talked about all, uh, uh, a wide range of skills um, and attributes that would be useful for the roles. And I'm thinking about Joseph's question on interviewing. What comes to mind for you in terms of better scenarios and in interviews to actually um, get at that evidence? You know, do any of you have examples? You know, Joseph said dance for five minutes. That seems as good an option to me as anything. Uh, what do people think could be done if we're trying to actually access some of this evidence? To some extent, I think your experience speaks for itself. And so being able to say why what you've done should should demonstrate that you could be successful in this role is is like a reasonable way to at least start touching upon that. And so that's where if you ask questions about it and let them answer why they think it's a good fit and always remembering to bring it back to and what would you do with that here, right? Because if I just give you a list of what I did in the past, that's not super helpful. Um, but I know for my role, I actually got to come in and teach a professional development mock class to what would be my office in the future and they were able to see me respond in the moment and actually my technology failed i had this awesome pull everywhere word cloud this was like a while ago when people didn't know pull everywhere so i was like patting myself on the back like oh i'm being so innovative and of course it failed so i had to like shift in the moment to do sort of like an alternate version of it with like hands and board and like writing and drawing things right and actually later they shared with me that they appreciated that i shifted and was very fluid in the moment to not get stuck on the fact that technology worked or didn't. So I think any time that you can demonstrate your skills in some way, whether that's a teaching demonstration or cre like maybe creating a handout that you give to people or doing a one-on-one -on -one, uh, mock career counseling session that you might do a similar co coaching session and recording that and submitting it or doing one live in front of the people at the hiring committee, right? Like, I don't know, anything where you would have to respond in the moment and pivot and be creative to respond to potential bumps in the road. I think those are great ways to do it if, you, if you're trying to get beyond just interviewing. When I'm on hiring committees or if I'm the person that's helping to draft the position to hire somebody, I always push for uh, setting realistic expectations and giving a full, like, full description of what the job is. And what I mean by that is we all know we've seen the job descriptions that are like three or four pages long and they ask for everything. And we're like, we'll be happy if we get 25%. I will go back and say, look, what you're asking for, number one is unrealistic. And number two, again, if you say you want a diverse candidate pool, but then you're not putting in the effort to be diverse and you're not putting in the effort to be transparent, like you're doing all the stuff that's basically not gonna get you what you're like, the kinds of candidates you're wanting to get. And then when they come to campus, making sure we're, as Becca stated, giving folks the opportunity to provide their evidence in whatever form that they want, that they uh, can do the job and how they would do the job if they were here on our campus, using their talent, skills, and awesomeness. Because when you engage, I feel like when you engage in that process, not only being transparent and allowing people to showcase their awesomeness, not only do you find, quote, the right candidate, I actually feel you start establishing a relationship with prospective colleagues even before they've gotten here. 
which is really like the whole point, right? It's like we all want people who are going to work together with before in person and now via Zoom. The good news here is that you are both hired for this job. Um, it's $22,000 and we need you to do everything um, that uh, I didn't want to do. So that's great. You have great skills and excellent sprinkles. So I think that's really shone through in, in the stuff. So uh, <laughs> we are reaching the end. If you're willing to share any last thoughts about this concept of, you know, interviewing and interviewing to sort of broaden our perspectives, our, the diversity of our teams, our thoughts, our, our opinions, uh, I'd love to hear any last thoughts that you have before we wrap up, because it's been such an engaging discussion. Um, being willing to think about what experiences, identities, perspectives you have and how that can contribute to the role in the position. Other people aren't going to do that for you. They're not going to be like, oh, I see you have this hidden identity that could be really useful, but you might know that you have that. And again, I think by sharing that and being really thoughtful about how could you apply this here, like maybe you've struggled with mental health and wellness in your past and you're really passionate about providing that and that's something you would want to be programming around in your role even though that's not a main component maybe um you've developed as we talked about diversity and inclusion work that you could bring as part of your role maybe uh, like for example as a veteran i participate in the veterans advisory group for our student veterans who are grad students right um and so that's not that was never advertised that's no part of my role but if you can be proactive in thinking about what parts of your identities could contribute to helping you be even more effective or have or have ways of serving different parts of the student population or just being engaged and thoughtful about different topics i think that that can go a long way and again if you're at a place that isn't going to value that you kind of want to know that early so share those things because that's information for you too transparency the employer side be transparent about what you're looking for what you want and including the job description, we'd be happy if you could only had 25% of the thing, if you could only do 25% of the things in this job description. But I think that's great. I think that says something about the organization. The flip side of that, when you're interviewing, believe me, based on my identities, it can be dangerous. It can be scary to be open and honest about who you are and put your, especially put your social identities out there when relevant and when needed. But I have found that the best uh, experiences that I've had, and, and jobs are experiences. They're 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 not forever. They're they're just times in your in your life when you get to experience something, a new career, a new job, a new place. They're experiences. The times that I've been transparent with prospective employers, I have learned so much about myself. I've learned so much about the environment, the employer, but I've also learned that again that I'm worthy and they're worthy of having me there. And I think, you know, you should, you, you, any of us, any of you or anybody listening or who's advising, especially prospective underrepresented uh, trainees, you know, an institution should be worthy of having you. And when you can be transparent with them and they accept you and they welcome you into the institution, that just feels so amazing. I think we all want to work at a place that you can feel you can be your whole self at every day, any day, no matter what's going on. <laughs> well, I had to, so you're funny. I had to look this up. I'm like, I don't know if you are ready for me. Cause remember the concept, are you ready for me? Think about what that actually means. Are you, Ready for what? Like, 
Are you prepared? Are, are you, you, you know, like, what are you trying to say? Cause that we have so many words for ready. Cause I'm like, okay, I'm going to look this up. And I'm like that, no, that's, that's the literal translation, but that's not right. Yanis Nayo is, I don't know. Yanis Nayo is the Lubish Minye. I don't know if you love me. Oh. Got to be out of the blue. I love you. Here's a topic career and professional development in other countries. Because you have to think about mm -hmm. those concepts of career and professional development. Like student affairs is a very US centric concept. 